In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hear those words recorded immediately before our epistle lesson. These words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let no one deceive you, or deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. I was watching a video on the internet a while ago that showed some funny scenes caught on camera. I don't know if this one was staged or not. I'm sure it was. But it was still pretty funny to watch. A young man was leaning against a really nice car and some silly girls were fawning all over him, all impressed with his wealth and success. While the young man was relishing the attention he was getting, whoever was holding the camera approached him and told him to scram. This is my car. Then he pulled out his keys to prove it by pressing the button and beep, beep, unlocking the car he was leaning against. Oh, the humiliation of the young man was almost sad to watch. But it was also pretty satisfying. He totally deserved it. He was posing as the one who owned the car in order to impress these girls. And then just like that, his glory was all shot away. How humiliating. Staged or not, justice is always entertaining. All things are yours. This is how we should view the world. This is how we should see those who pompously boast in their power and money and fame. They're posers. The proud strut around like they're so important for having control over the things they love and worship. They enjoy the attention and praise they get from using what belongs to God. Well, they can lean against it all cool and rely on it all they want. But it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. It's ours, because we are Christ's, and Christ is God's. All things are ours. Maybe you've heard these words and imagined that St. Paul is talking about some spiritual version of all things, whatever that may mean. All things are yours. He must be talking about all heavenly things, maybe, or all things in some vague religious sense. But no, that is not the case. There is no such thing as all things in a vague religious sense versus all things in a more real, secular sense. That is a distinction without meaning. This is God's world. Do we worship a God other than the God who owns and runs the world? Is the God who teaches us in his word a different God than the one who made and possesses all things? Is the one who reconciles us to himself by the blood of Christ, possibly of God, who cannot also give us 
whatever else he might own. No, there is no religious thing and secular things. There is all things, period. St. Paul is speaking quite plainly and literally and broadly. All things are yours. All things belong to you, everything. And this is because you belong to God. All things belong to God. His son, Jesus Christ, has purchased us to be his own. We belong to Christ. He belongs to us. We know this, and by faith we take possession of Christ himself. By taking possession of his promises and taking possession of Christ, we take possession of all that is his. We take possession of the Father. We take possession of everything put under his feet. Owning God, possessing him, we are possessors and rightful owners of all things that are his. He who made all things owns all things. He who redeemed all men makes us who believe his holy word to be co-heirs, co-inheritors, co-owners and possessors of everything that exists. Now, this doesn't mean we go around telling people to step away from our car or to give us back the money that we know full well is theirs. All things being ours doesn't mean we seize and take control of all things. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No, in order to understand what it means that all things are ours, we need to become familiar with a very important and powerful distinction. It is the distinction between ownership of something and control of something. There is a difference between owning something and controlling something. All things are yours, but not all things are yours to control. Owning something does not mean that you control it. My wife owns me and I own her. We own each other, but we don't control each other. We exercise ownership of each other, in fact, largely, actually, by trusting each other. It's the same with lots of things. Now, on the other hand, of course, some things that we own, we have a duty to control. Somebody might say, control your kids, or something like that. Well, so also, I own my hand and my tongue. They're mine. Controlling these takes discipline. These members of mine are powerful. So are yours. We who own our hands and feet and tongues and eyes must exercise control over them so that they do not serve evil purposes. We prove ownership of our members by exercising control, self-control over them. This past Wednesday, and during these Wednesdays in Advent, we considered for our midweek Advent service the requirement of the Eighth Commandment to put the best construction on everything. If it is hard to control what your ears hear and what your tongue utters, or for that matter, what your eye looks at, it is infinitely harder to control what your mind imagines or supposes or assumes. But you must control it. You prove ownership of your mind not by letting it think what it wants to think, but by training your mind to think the thoughts of God. You prove ownership of your tongue by biting it if you have to, in order to keep it from disobeying God. These things that belong to you depend on you to take control of them and use them for good instead of evil.
So again, there are things we own that we have a duty to control. He who doesn't control himself doesn't even own himself. To gossip about and trash your neighbor is to give control of your tongue to the devil who did not redeem you. To assume the worst of him is to give your mind and imagination to the devil who seeks to own you. Some things that we own require that we, re we control them. We ourselves are owned by God. We control what God says is ours by learning from God's word how we are to put them to good use. But not all things you own are like this. Considering the fact that literally all things are yours, most things, in fact, you own are not like this. Not everything you own must be controlled by you. Most things cannot be. And as a matter of fact, this is often a more difficult form of ownership. To own something that you must watch and be content with other people controlling. I could give, give examples of this. A, a child's home is controlled by his parents, but it's no less his. And there is only peace in that home if he knows that his father and mother love him. Our government is ours, of the people, for the people, and all that, but we hardly control what they're up to, do we? And we only have peace if God permits it, if we remember that all authority is his. Now, examples can abound. Truth is, we control very little, and we never will control very much. So what's the point? It's like having $100 million in the bank with your name on it, with no way to spend it. What's worse, it's like watching other people spend it while knowing it's actually yours. Who cares if it's ours if we ourselves can't enjoy the spending power? But in whose hands does it serve you better? This is a big question. Or what is the value of all things? Really, what is its worth? All things. This extremely important question deserves repeating. In whose hands do all things serve you better? In your hands or in God's? What are all things really worth? Is it the pleasure you can squeeze from it by exerting your own control? Is that the value of the mountains filled with gold and the hills filled with copper? Is it that you can turn a profit from it and use it to leverage other people into serving you and making things for you and delivering nice things to your house? Is that the value of all things? Is that the value of the world's resources? How you can manipulate them into serving you? Is it the praise of man that we desire? Or must each man's praise come from God? If this all seems like a subtle distinction, if this all seems like a silly way to tweak our perspective, but that doesn't really have much bearing on real-life seriousness, then we are too wise for our own good. Let us become fools, lest God catch us in our own craftiness, and we be found with empty hands and futile thoughts. For this is the perspective of God. If it is not our perspective, our perspective is wrong. Why do we measure the value of all things based on how much good all things can do for us if only we had control of it? The answer is quite clear. We trust ourselves 
with it more than we trust God with it. We think we know, we know, we think we know what we need, and we trust ourselves to meet our needs. But we should trust God. God owns it. And he gives everything to us. And he tells us what our ownership of all things, literally, all things, consists of. Again, we're not just spiritualizing all things here. All things. His car is yours. Literally. My house and children are yours. But only if you belong to Christ. Your ownership of all things consists in this, as St. Paul teaches us in Romans 8, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Or do you think you could have put it to better use? Are not all things better controlled by God? If God is for us, Paul continues in Romans 8, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And he does. He does give us all things by forcing all things to serve us. More than we make requests to God to take ownership and possession of all things, when we make our requests known to him, we pray according to his will that all things might serve us that we above all things might retain our faith in Jesus. God says that all things are ours, and so they are. The control over the world that worldly people seem to have is an illusion. They're leaning on your car. But far better than handing over control to us, lest we worship our own dominion, or lest we lean on such things ourselves as something that makes us great, to protect us from our own idolatry far better than handing control over to us, God retains control himself and forces all things to serve our everlasting happiness. And it does even if in the course of things we must suffer so that even poverty, imprisonment, and tyranny must serve us. And this is because we have his word. Is this not the lesson that Jesus sent to John the Baptist? Was this not the consolation that Jesus gave his faithful prophet? Look, dear John, what the word you preached has been accomplishing, even quite without you. Look, dear John, at what I am doing, whose ways you prepared for me. See what control God has over all things as he causes the gospel to be preached to the poor as he causes the blind to see, the lame to walk, the lepers to be cleansed, see how all things truly belong to him and see how everything finds its final focus here, that the gospel is preached to those who need a savior. And blessed are those who are not offended at this. We equate ownership with control because truth be told, this is how the world works. And of course, we also have to talk this way in the usual sense. Obviously, my car isn't yours and your house isn't mine. When we speak of ownership, we generally do mean control. So I'm not telling you to start talking differently, really. But God doesn't mean control. The greatest thing we own is not what we control, but what controls us. We have God's word. See how it controls 
us. See how it does not enslave us to our own desires and our own envy and our own desperate defense of our own reputation and honor. This is how all things would control us. But we don't belong to all things. All things belong to us. So see how God's word lets us leave these things to the control of him who loves us, even when it looks like evil people are controlling it to spite us. God's word, our most precious possession, teaches us how we can lose control of all things with confidence that even outside of our control, all things are still ours because they must still work for our eternal good. As we sing in the hymn, we have all things Christ possessing. Life eternal, second birth, present pardon, peace and blessing while we tarry here on earth. And by faith's anticipation, what are you looking forward to? Foretaste of the joy above, freely given us with salvation by the Father in his love. And it's true. When we possess Christ, we possess all things. When we have eternal life, second birth, forgiveness, peace, and the favor of God, we have more than what the world can hold. Even John the Baptist had a foretaste of joy in heaven while he suffered terribly in prison. Christ had more than what the world could hold. He who made all things handed control of all things to his Father. He came in humility and poverty in order to gain for himself a possession, an inheritance more precious than all things. He came to gain us. And when he gained anything else besides, he placed it all under his feet and ours. He came to put all things under his feet by letting all things hurt him and be denied him. He lived a holy life content with God's word above even his daily bread. And he gave his holy life into death to pay for all our sins. By purchasing and winning us, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood, as our little children memorize from the small catechism, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the eternal Son of God, makes us his, and he makes himself ours. He turns all wrath away. He gives us peace with God. He th all things are put under his feet, but we are not. We are brought to his side. He forgives us all our sins and teaches us how to regard even things outside of our control as things that are serving our everlasting good, even things that are over our head, are nonetheless under our feet to raise us up to God. And he does this all through the ministry of his holy word. He does this through the gospel that is preached to you in Jesus' name. All things are yours. This is the most precious thing you can have, and it is yours. All the wisdom of God, all his favor and well-pleasingness, all his love and protection are yours in Christ through the gospel that reconciles you to him. It is yours, and this means the very ministry itself is yours. Every minister is yours. But remember, this doesn't mean that you control it. The ministry of the gospel doesn't serve you according to the terms and standards of sinful man. You do not want a reed shaking in the wind, a minister controlled by popular opinion. You do not want to gain worldly honor by means of the gospel. You'll find folks who can do that for you in the houses of kings. What you need is more than a prophet. You need above all that a servant of Christ be faithful in giving to you what is yours by preparing Christ's way into your heart. And that's what a steward is. It is above all required of a steward that he be faithful in the things which God gave him to teach. They belong to God. They belong to you. 
For by the pure and true message you hear, all things are made to serve you. And without the gospel, all suffering is pointless. It reveals a God who takes and takes and takes whatever he might ever give you. He just takes it. But with the gospel, all suffering serves a wonderful purpose. Far from revealing a God who takes and takes, when you suffer as a Christian who has the favor of God and his promise of everlasting life, when you suffer knowing this, even your pain and sorrow and poverty and sickness must serve to prove that all things are yours. And it serves you in this way by driving you back to the one thing that neither height nor depth nor things present nor things to come can ever separate you from. The love of God. The riches of heaven. Divine approval, even right now. Lean on this, dear Christians. Lean on this. It's yours. We lean not on our own understanding nor on anything we can control to our advantage nor a car that belongs to somebody else. We lean rather on the Lord God who teaches us to rejoice in this, that our names are written in heaven. All things are ours and must now serve us in preparing us always to receive this wonderful message of peace and joy. Now one final word should be spoken about the things we do control. You have money. You have time. You have honor, you have influence, you have children, spouse, you have so much. And God does put you in charge of a lot. So how should we use it? We should use it in order to confess to one another and to promote for one another that gospel which must be preached. That gospel without which we own nothing. That gospel which teaches us that we need control of nothing. That we can let it all go for joy that we are owned by God. As the forgiving father told his elder son, Son, all that I have is yours. So we should use what we have and what our father gives to us to control in this life to promote reconciliation, to receive those who have sinned and come back repenting of their sin, to promote the peace of the church, to promote promote the proclamation of the gospel, even if it means we must give up control of it in order that we might confess that we are controlled by Christ, who controls us by giving us a willing spirit and freeing us from all bondage, freeing us from all sin, and giving us a very bright future when we will see with our own eyes that indeed all things are ours. Until then, let us pray. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things, all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.